What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Clips Convo Show, a podcast by the Sporting Tribune, where we break down everything you need to know about the LA Clippers. As always, I'm your host, Joey Lynn, and this is our first episode post-trade deadline. I thought about doing an episode the day of, but the reason I held off was because I thought the Clippers may be making another move after the trade deadline in the buyout market. And that still could very well happen. It has not happened yet, uh, but I didn't want to wait off any longer. Of course, I wanted to still get my uh, regularly scheduled episode out on this Monday, but I do still think that this roster could change. And that's, of course, something that we're going to get into at some point in this episode. But to start, like I said, this is our first episode post-trade deadline. I do want to break down the moves that the Clippers did make because they made quite a few of them. Three players went out, Reggie Jackson, John Wall, and Luke Kennard, and three players came in, Bones Highland, Eric Gordon, and Mason Plumley. What are my thoughts on the trade deadline? Well, I do think the Clippers got better, and the primary reason why is that, to my surprise, they actually stuck with the plan that I had been calling for on this podcast for weeks. If you have listened to this podcast for, I mean, more than just a couple of episodes, you know that my preference for how I wanted the Clippers to approach the trade deadline was to trade away their two point guards and Reggie Jackson and John Wall and lean into bigger lineups with bigger guards that are just quite simply better players than Reggie Jackson and John Wall, despite the fact that they are not point guards. You guys know if you listen to this episode, or excuse me, to this podcast, that I am not big on the whole traditional point guard thing, especially as it pertains to this roster. So on this podcast, I had been saying for weeks, really, that the Clippers should trade away their two traditional point guards and lean into bigger groups with some of their other guards. Of course, uh, in the trades that they made that came at the expense of Luke Kennard. That is not something that I wanted to see happen. As you guys know, Luke's one of my favorite players. I certainly wanted to see him get more of an opportunity to get on the ball and be one of those guards that gets to handle the ball a little bit more who may not be a traditional point guard, but instead they're bringing in Eric Gordon, and I'm not necessarily against that. I think it still goes along with the same philosophy that I've had for weeks now, which is play bigger guards who aren't necessarily point guards and see what you can do with this roster. Now, if you listened to my last episode, you know that I actually conceded defeat. I admitted defeat. I conceded. I said, you know what, you guys? I think the Clippers do have to go get a point guard. And the reason why is because Ty Lue is adamant on playing one. But as things stand currently, he does not have one to play. And that is a very interesting development because it leads me right into something that happened a couple of days ago, uh, both before and after the Clippers' last game, which came against the Milwaukee Bucks. Lawrence Frank addressed the media before the game, and he sounded a whole lot different than Ty Lue usually sounds. He was talking about point guards because, of course, so much focus and so much emphasis had been placed on the possibility of the Clippers picking up a point guard, and then when it didn't happen, people are thinking, well, what's that all about? And what Lawrence Frank said was something pretty interesting. He said, well, you can go get a backup point guard, but if that player has limitations in other areas, 
What does that do for your stars? And he said, would you rather have a player who is going to be in your top eight or a putting my fingers in quotes point guard who could potentially be played off the floor in some matchups? Those were some of the things that Lawrence Frank was saying. And it was very interesting because throughout the course of the season, Ty Lue has been very reliant on players who fit that category, that traditional point guard, but they have limitations in other areas and can certainly be played off the floor. Ty has been very reliant on those guys, most notably Reggie Jackson. So with both Reggie and John now on different teams, well, Reggie has a new team, John still is unsigned. The Clippers don't have a traditional point guard. So going back to my last episode, when I said, I think they actually are going to have to get an upgrade at that spot because Ty Lue is adamant on playing one. I actually didn't consider the fact that there was a chance that Lawrence Lawrence Frank and Ty Lue disagreed so drastically that the front office may just go point guardless entirely as I had been preaching for weeks. So it was pretty funny for me because I, in a lot of ways, got what I wanted to see out of the Clippers at the trade deadline uh, with the exception of Luke going. I did not want to see that happen. Uh, If it were to have been up to me, I would have kept Luke around and just put him in a better position to be successful. But uh, I hope he does well with Memphis. That's my guy for sure. Looking forward to seeing him on March 5th. But for now, as things stand currently, the Clippers don't have a point guard. And Ty Lue's answer to that was, well, it is what it is. I'm just going to have to figure it out. And, well, he is going to have to figure it out, at least for now, because the Clippers don't have a point guard on the roster and they have guards that need minutes. How that shakes out, well, we're going to find out a lot tomorrow because the Clippers are fully healthy. I was waiting for the injury report to come out before I recorded this episode, and there were no surprises on the injury report. The Clippers are going to be fully healthy tomorrow. So they'll have their full roster available. And while I think the rotation will probably be a little bit expanded uh, from what we would perhaps see in in a playoff setting or or something like that, a a big seeding game down the line. Uh, I think it'll be a little bit expanded to give Ty Lue different looks at different guys. It will be interesting to see how he manages a fully healthy rotation because this will be the first time that we have seen it. So that's what happened at the trade deadline with the guards. But with the backup center spot, I think the Clippers did about as good as they possibly could have done. You guys, again, know if you listen to this podcast, I had been saying for weeks, I truly do believe the expiring contract of either Reggie Jackson or John Wall plus a future pick would be enough to land a solid backup center on the trade market. And I was correct. The Clippers sent out Reggie Jackson and a second round pick and got back one of the best backup centers on the market, which was Mason Plumlee from the Charlotte Hornets. I think that was a fantastic deal for the Clippers. A plus on that trade. I don't think they could have done any better with the assets that they had to work with. I was very pleased to see that trade actually occur because one, it showed the Clippers understood they needed to move on from Reggie. Another guy I love. Again, if you listen to this podcast, you know he's one of my favorites just in terms of uh, interacting with him on a personal level. Of course, he had his struggles on the court this season, but he is an A plus dude and I'm going to miss him as well. But the Clippers knew it was time to move on from him and to be able to do that while also bringing in a very solid player who plays a big-time position of need was about as good as the Clippers could have possibly done. So I was super stoked with that. That was an absolute no-brainer. The questionable thing now is what they're going to do with their guard rotation. We've already hit on it a little bit, 
but I think there still is a bit of a log jam. If you consider Bones Highland a rotation player, I think most people would say as of right now, he's probably not. I do think he's going to get a few looks here and there, but uh, if Ty was forced to play his playoff rotation tomorrow, I don't think Bones Highland would be in it because if he was, you're probably looking at a three guard combo with Bones Highland, Eric Gordon and Norman Powell, which in my eyes could be equally, if not more harmful than the three guard lineups with Reggie Luke and Norm, because Luke, yes, he's had his struggles at times defensively, but I do think he holds his own a little bit better uh, than a 21 year old Bones Highland would at this point. Norm, not a good defender. We know that. And, uh, Eric Gordon, again, a guy who has a little bit more of a bulky frame when it comes to the guards that we've been talking about. So his ability to be a little bit more physical is um, elevated as opposed to some of the other backcourt players that we've talked about on this Clippers team. But he is by no means a good defender at this point in his career. There's no real data that says he is. And the eye test, again, doesn't really affirm that either. Although, like I said, with him just being of a stronger build, he can hold his own uh, against some bigger defenders, but that doesn't necessarily make him a positive on that end. So the Clippers do, uh, do still have a pretty interesting guard log jam to navigate. And I think the easy answer would be uh, to give Bones Highland uh, some of those third string garbage time minutes for now, see if he can maybe crack in the rotation at some point, but I just don't see a direct path to that unless you get really creative with maybe starting Eric bringing man off the bench but then even then I'm not exactly sure I entirely trust Ty Lue to give man the appropriate minutes if he's not in that starting group so we will see what happens Ty Lue has a pretty tough job on his hands uh, with the current roster but I do believe it is better equipped to win a championship than the one that the Clippers had going into the trade deadline and that's about all you can ask for especially uh, for a team that has limited assets like Lawrence Frank admitted the Clippers do. And he said something pretty interesting. He said, uh, we don't have the full treasure chest right now. He said, we have to be smart with our assets. We can't uh, essentially tie our hands and, and really handcuff ourselves by dealing away all the assets that we have now, and then really have nothing to dip into down the line. He said, you can't be so nearsighted. I thought that was an interesting comment because one of the questions that I've gotten quite a bit over the last several days, over the last week or so since the trade deadline was Joey. You know, the Clippers have made some solid moves. I like the Plumlee deal. You know, they they bought low on, on Bones Highland. It's a low-risk, potentially high-reward uh, move. Eric Gordon projects to be uh, at least, at, at worst, uh, a solid vet option off the bench who can contribute uh, both offensively and, like I said, defensively a little bit shaky, but he does have some stuff there just with his overall size. Um, so some people really liked what the Clippers did. But like I said, a lot of people have asked me the question, does it matter at all with Kevin Durant now being with the Phoenix Suns? And I think that's a pretty great question because we were all shocked by the move uh, that happened, what night was that? It was the night before the trade deadline, I believe, where we were all in the media room waiting for Kawhi Leonard, and then all of a sudden, we got the Woj bomb that Kevin Durant was going to be headed to the Phoenix Suns, a team that was just in the NBA Finals a couple of seasons ago in 2021. Obviously, they had their historic choke against the Dallas Mavericks last season, but they still are, I hate to admit it, a very talented team. 
And when you throw one of the best players in the world in that mix, they certainly project to be the favorites out West. So while the Clippers got better with Mason Plumlee and they got better with some of these moves that they made, really addition by subtraction by sending Reggie Jackson and John Wall on their way, is it going to be enough when you have a team like the Phoenix Suns who add a superstar talent in Kevin Durant? When you're looking at it right now, it feels pretty easy to say no. It feels pretty easy to say, well, Joey, the Clippers really haven't even looked like a championship contender at any point this season. And now they have this giant in the conference, in the division, actually, with the Phoenix Suns, now adding Kevin Durant. Is that going to be a problem? And again, I think it's pretty easy to say, yes, it is. But we have seen over the years, things can happen. Uh, Players can not gel the way we thought they would. Um, You know, God forbid anybody gets hurt, never want to see that, but it does happen. Um, And that can change the landscape. So different things can open a door that didn't really look like it was going to be opened uh, when deals like this happen. So if you're the Clippers, you have to put yourself in position to capitalize on those opportunities when they present themselves. That's my first answer. My second answer kind of leans into uh, the initial feeling of the Clippers not being good enough. If that's the case, I think a a lot of the moves they made at this trade deadline put themselves in a better spot to make a play at a third star this summer than they would have been without those moves. Why? Well, they did a little bit with their draft compensation. They got some seconds back for Luke, uh, which, you know, maybe wasn't the best value for a player like him, but it it does, uh, to use Lawrence Frank's words, uh, it, it stores the treasure chest a little bit more. Uh, So that was something that they were able to do. Obviously, Bones Highland is a guy who I'm not sure they have necessarily uh, any real interest in training, but he is a young player with more upside than most of the young guys on the Clippers roster right now, if not all of the young guys on the Clippers roster right now. So that's a potential guy that, you know, could be in those conversations. Terrence Mann's deal is going to kick in next season. So while Clippers fans would like to trade him, of course, he is a candidate to be involved in some of those potential big deals for a third star. So it'll be interesting to see what happens this summer. But I do think with some of what the Clippers did at the trade deadline, you can begin to think, okay, are they positioning themselves to maybe make a bigger play in the offseason? And I don't think it's all that unrealistic to anticipate that potentially happening. So that's something to keep an eye on for sure going forward. If the Clippers are just quite simply not good enough as currently constructed, I do think they've done an all right job at replenishing some of the assets that they have lost in other trades and positioning themselves to potentially make a deal with expiring contracts like Marcus Morris. Robert Covington is going to be an expiring next year. Like I said, Terrence's deal goes up in terms of uh, what, his overall salary would look like in a big contract. So there's certainly different things to look at. Eric Gordon, another one. So there are certain things to look at with the Clippers right now beyond just this nearsightedness of what does this do for me right now. But because this is a Clippers podcast that is focused on breaking down Clippers basketball, we can't just ignore what is happening right now. I do want to wrap things up by talking about the overall outlook on this current team. And I'm going to spend about the last half of the podcast doing Just that, because as I previously mentioned, I do believe they got better at the deadline. I do believe they positioned themselves 
uh, in, a, in a spot to be more playoff friendly than they were prior to the deadline. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens. And I think some of the conversation on Clippers Twitter has started to become a little bit more accurate when talking about what needs to happen in order for this team to reach the level that they want to reach. And quite frankly, what does that look like? Well, it looks like Kawhi Leonard and Paul George being a tier one and a tier one, a guy, because as we have seen in recent history, you essentially cannot win a championship unless you have a certified tier one talent. And that honestly, I'm not even gonna say essentially you cannot win a championship unless you have a certified tier one guy in the last decade, all of the championships have either been won by LeBron James, Steph Curry, Kawhi Leonard, or Giannis. LeBron got it in 2012. And then Kawhi got it in 2013 or was it flipped around? I, I forget. Um, the heat got their first one. I think that was 20. Yeah. Cause 2011 was when they failed against Dallas Then 2012 LeBron finally got one. And then 2013, yeah, they went back to back in 2013, and then Kawhi got one in 2014. I, you guys know what I'm what I'm saying. They, they, the Spurs and the Heat were going back and forth there for a little bit. I'm gonna actually look it up. I tried doing that off the top of my head, but uh, let's see here. List of NBA champions. I know those Spurs and those Heat teams are going back and forth in 12, 13, 14. Um, yeah, in 2012, it was the heat. And then they went back to back in 13. Yeah. 14, the Spurs got them back. So those two teams were kind of going back and forth there for a while. The heat beat the thunder in 2012 repeated in 2013. And then Kawhi got his first finals MVP in 2014. But circling back to the point that I was making all of the titles over the last decade have essentially been won by four dudes. LeBron got it in 2012, got it again in 2013, then Kawhi in 14. And then it was the Curry era. He got one in 15. Braun got it again in 16. And then Curry got the next two. And then Kawhi got it in 19. LeBron got it again in 20. Then Giannis made an appearance in 2021. And then Curry was back on top last season. So what that shows you is that unless you have a tier one dude, and I know some people are going to bring up KD because, of course, he was the finals MVP of those teams in 2017, 2018. Fine. The reason why I didn't say him is because Steph was still on those teams. You could say that championships have been won without Durant over the last decade, but you can't say the same about Curry. So that's the reason why I didn't bring up his name initially. But the the logic still remains the same. You have to have a tier one dude in order to win a title. So Kawhi has shown, I believe, at times this season that he still has the ability to be that tier one dude. And if he can be, then you feel a whole lot better about the Clippers' ultimate chances. But what you really also kind of need is a tier, you know, like 1B guy. A guy like Chris Middleton was at times for Giannis throughout the playoffs. People were calling him Batman. I didn't agree with it, but people were saying it. That's how good he was at times. A guy like AD was for LeBron in 2020. Kawhi in 2019, he didn't have the same type of help, but guys did step up at times with Siakam really starting to come into his own. Lowry had some really low moments, but he also had some great moments as well. Uh, He had a squad around him uh, after that second round against Philly where it was really Kawhi on his own he did have guys stepping up and then of course those Golden State teams KD and Curry 1A 1B and then LeBron in 16 Kyrie was a very certified 1B go back to 2015 again uh it was kind of more so Curry but even again he had there's, there's the Splash Brothers and Iggy won finals MVP so he had a squad around him and then those Spurs teams they were loaded 
So you can't just have more times than not just one tier A dude and then just a fringe all-star like Paul George has been so far this season. Paul George has his moments where he looks like a real 1B, and he also has his moments where he looks like a fringe all-star. And he's going to have to be much, much better going forward in order for the Clippers to get to where they want to get to. And that's kind of the harsh reality for this team right now. It's one of those situations where on paper, it looks as if they have enough. But is PG going to be that guy when it matters? He has been in 2021. He absolutely was. But there have been some times this season where he just hasn't quite stepped up to the level that the Clippers are going to eventually need him to be at. So that's going to be something to keep an eye on going forward as well. Can Kawhi maintain the level of production required from your best player in order to win a championship? And can Paul George be his sidekick and and perform to the level of that duty and those responsibilities? Because so far this season, I think we've seen both versions of Paul George. We've seen the guy who looks like an absolute superstar who can score 40 on any given night, uh, who can get red hot, who can distribute, who rebounds, who defends. Uh, who shoots at not only high efficiency, but high volume as well, which is really important when it comes to Paul George, because a lot of times if he's just not really having his best night, he he can become a little gun shy and then not uh, shoot as many times as you would need him to shoot, especially for the role that the Clippers have him in. Uh, so we've seen him be that star level player. And then we've also seen him be the guy who, uh, just doesn't step up when the Clippers need him to. I mean, we, we've really seen both versions of him at times this season. I think the best Paul George game came in Sacramento without Kawhi Leonard, where he played 38 minutes, scored 40 points. It actually wasn't a season high. He had 45 in the loss to Indiana. You can make a case that that was his best game as well. But I just think with the Clippers not having Kawhi in that game against Sacramento, you saw Paul George being super aggressive. He shot 31 times, which was his season high, then is still his season high now. So it will be interesting to see what version of the Clippers get uh, of Paul George. I think a lot of times that's really what it comes down to with this team because he does have nights, uh, even just the other night in that loss to Milwaukee, uh, where he just can't quite find it and he's just, he just can't really get it going. That's when the Clippers really struggle because with Kawhi Leonard uh, still coming back from ACL, Obviously, you're going to need him to be tier one, but he's kind of shown the ability to do that at times this year. Whether or not that's sustainable over the course of an entire playoff run, we're going to have to wait and see, but uh, that's really all the Clippers uh, can bank on right now is Kawhi being that dude because he's shown them at times this year that he absolutely still is. So that's where a lot of it just comes down to PG and what level of player he is going to be come playoff time. And as I said previously, I think that's where a lot of the discussion on Clippers Twitter has has be, uh, began to become a little bit more accurate because there's been a lot of discussion about things on the margins. And shoot, I've led a lot of those discussions because I think uh, over the course of an 82-game season, the margins matter a lot uh, when you're looking at, you know, perhaps uh, a, play on, a play-in scenario or a top five or six finish. You know, the difference between that often could just be one or two losses, especially in the Western Conference, how tight things are right now. So there is reason to focus on the margins because, like I said, uh, if you know one, two, three losses are the difference between maybe home court advantage in the first round or being in a play-in situation. Yeah, you're going to want to try to win as many games as possible, and and 
hitting on the margins throughout the course of a long season will help you do that. But when you get to the playoffs, a lot of times it boils down to whose best player outplayed the other team's best player. And we saw it last year in the finals. A lot of people said Boston was a bad matchup for the Golden State Warriors, but Steph Curry was just better than everybody else. We saw it in 2021 with Giannis. I mean, we saw it to a massive degree with Giannis, I feel, because, you know, there were times where, like I've talked about in this podcast, his co-stars were pretty solid throughout the course of the playoffs, but man, there were times where they were pretty absent as well. And it was Giannis who stepped up with 50 pieces and it was Giannis who stepped up and did the point guard duties and was defending and you know, was basically doing everything for his team. That's why they get paid $40 million a season. That's why they're called superstars. And that's why you do all you can to try to get one of those guys because you know without one, you're really not going to have a chance. So that's what I'm talking about when it comes to the Clippers right now. Yes, I do think they made some improvements on the margins. Are they going to be enough? Well, I think that depends on what version of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, but more so Paul George, since I think Kawhi has has really started to show where he's at in terms of his recovery. And and you really trust him in big moments because he's shown it time and time again. And PG has too, but again, with him being the the second guy for a reason, you do uh, hope that he can step up and be who Clippers fans know he can be and who we have seen him be at times in his Clippers tenure, even when the Clippers have needed it most. So that's what I think it's going to come down to. And the reason why I brought that up is because I think a lot of people have rightfully been talking about it lately. Uh, perhaps uh, some of that is is just due to Paul George struggling a little bit over his last couple of games. Uh, he was 8 for 20 against Dallas, then 8 for 23 against Milwaukee. I mean, neither of those are, are going to cut it when you talk about uh, you know going up against some of these better teams, obviously Dallas was without Luka, but they still had Kyrie. That was his debut. And then uh, the the Bucks with Giannis, you're not going to beat them uh, without Kawhi Leonard and Paul George shooting eight for 23. And you know the Clippers, for right or for wrong, for better or for worse, they do kind of go as Paul George goes at times in his four worst shooting games of the season. They're 0-4. Um, it's just he, he a lot of times is the barometer for this team, which is why I'm talking about him so much. And I wouldn't be talking about him as much if I didn't think he didn't have the talent to make it happen because I believe he absolutely does. And we've seen it. We have seen him do it. He's an all-star for a reason. He's the Clippers only all-star. Kawhi would probably be there if he played more games. Uh, But Paul George is a worthy all-star and he's going to have to step up when it matters most. And Clippers fans have started to talk about it. I think it's the right conversation to have because PG is on a max deal. Uh, He's Kawhi's co-star, and you look around the league, especially now with KD going to Phoenix, Kyrie going to Dallas. Um, Obviously, Denver's got their two-man combo with uh, Jokic and Murray. Um, There's there's some pretty solid duos in the Western Conference, and if you can't perform up to their level, you're probably going to be in trouble. So that's what it's going to come down to for the Clippers. We talk so much about the margins on this podcast, but I wanted to make sure I gave that particular conversation topic uh, the emphasis that it deserves because I don't think I talk about it enough on this podcast. And a couple of people actually got on me uh, after the Bucks game because I tweeted it out that, you know, if, if Paul George shoots like that, uh, or the, I said something like, you know, the Clippers are going to need Paul George to have a big night. That didn't happen. I said one of those nights for PG. And that was just me saying it was just one, it was one of those nights for him. It was. It was one of those nights for him. I wasn't letting him off the hook. I, you know, wasn't giving him an excuse. I was just saying it was one of those nights because it quite literally was. And people were saying, no, Joey, these nights happen too often, man. It's not just one of those nights. This is becoming a regular thing with PG. And I get it. I get where your frustration is coming from. I, I didn't mean to sound 
so dismissive with that tweet. But I do understand where people are coming from. When it comes to PG, there is a, a high standard for a reason. Uh, the expectation is high for a reason, and it's because he has the ability to meet it. And I think Clippers fans are uh, really kind of teetering on that right now, whether or not he is good enough to be that guy. I think he is. Um, and I think it's the reason I say that is because we've seen it. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with that because, uh, obviously he's two years removed and and a couple injuries removed from that 2021, uh, playoff run. But I still think, like I said, we've seen the flashes this season with a couple 40 point games. Uh, he's had a 30, I think nine times, which probably not exactly where you want it to be, but you know, he's still showing the ability to get it done. So, Uh, That is the Paul George situation. If you guys think I was a little long-winded on that, it's probably because I was, but I was just more so trying to give that the focus it deserves because, man, we really get into the nitty-gritty so often on this podcast when we're just diving into all the ins and outs. And a lot of times we're talking about, you know, margins that aren't even going to be really present in the playoffs because we're talking about a backup center that might not even play or we're talking about a guard rotation where you know in all honesty one guy's going to get squeezed out come playoff time anyways so we might as well talk about the big things every once in a while and for this team it's their star play how good can it be when it matters most that's what it's ultimately going to come down to i think now more than ever with the western conference getting as strong as it got at the trade deadline with KD and phoenix and with Kyrie in Dallas. So we're going to obviously still have our weekly check-ins. Doesn't mean that I'm just, you know, chalking the rest of the season up to, you know, what are Kawhi and PG going to do? We're going to talk about everything else still as well, but I did want to break that down here before I signed off tonight because uh, PG, he needs to be better. He needs to be better than he has been his last couple of games. And I think he will be because he has shown the ability to do just that so the Clippers have a game tomorrow against the Golden State Warriors it is going to be a very depleted Golden State Warriors team they'll be without Steph Curry Uh, they will probably be without Klay Thompson since he is not playing back-to-backs right now and they are currently playing in Washington and Klay Thompson is suited up and playing uh, as is Andrew Wiggins and Draymond Green. So we're definitely not seeing Curry tomorrow. We're probably not seeing Clay. I think there's a chance we don't see Draymond and maybe even Wiggins as well. Uh, the Warriors may just rest everybody. So a must-win game for the fully healthy Clippers tomorrow because Golden State, as bad as they have been, uh, are still kind of riding the tails of a lot of these teams uh, towards the bottom of the Western Conference. They are just a game and a half behind the Clippers and a half game behind uh, the seven-seed Pelicans and the eight-seed Minnesota Timberwolves. So they are still right there, can't. Shovel dirt on the Warriors just yet. This is a big, big game coming up for the Clippers tomorrow. We'd love to see them get a decisive blowout victory and let Bones Highland go crazy in garbage time. That is what I would like to see tomorrow. So that is tomorrow's game. And then as we've talked about so often, the schedule doesn't get any easier for the Clippers. They will play one more game before the All-Star break. That'll be against the Phoenix Suns. No KD yet. He's out until after the break. So a couple of big-time games Coming up for the Clippers leading into the break, two shorthanded Western Conference foes uh, that are really separated by no more than a game and a half in the standings from the Clippers right now. So a couple big games coming up. I will have coverage uh, on Twitter and on SI for those games if you guys are interested in what I have to say about those two contests. And we will be back again next Monday. Until then, you guys, much love and go Clippers.